0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Hollywood and Levine. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And this week, Adventures in Rewriting... I want to talk about uh, an assignment that my partner David Isaacs and I had back in 1985, a movie that you may have seen and probably hated called Jewel of the Nile, which is the sequel to a very, very good movie called Romancing the Stone, but... uh, There's a lot of ups and downs in this story, so I thought I would uh, share that with you because it's an aspect of a writer's career that uh, is very specialized and you don't hear that much about, so I'm going to talk about Jewel of the Nile. Now, I've mentioned elements of this in passing here and on my blog, but this is the full story. So again, we're talking the mid 80s, and when you were a screenwriter who was somewhat in demand, as David and I uh, were in that particular time, uh, you got offered a chance to rewrite other people's movies. And uh, I remember a time there was a Writers Guild meeting at the Hollywood Palladium right before a a big strike, you know, just kind of like now. There were like 800 writers in the Hollywood Palladium, people getting up to speak, and Larry Gelbart got up and said, everyone in this room has rewritten everyone else in this room. And that's pretty accurate, actually. So we were on that list of people to come in and rewrite movies. And here's the thing about that. Generally... You did it without getting any credit, but they paid you a lot of money, and it was usually only a few weeks' work. In this case, it was a couple of months, but still, like I said, you're making pretty good money, and if you were like one of the A-list rewriters, like Robert Town or Carrie Fisher or Elaine May, you could make a fortune. I mean, they were getting stupid ballplayer money to come in for one week and help out on a movie. Just insane amounts of money. One of the things that is different today, as opposed to back then, in the halcyon days of the 80s, is today, yeah, they still need rewrites, and usually what they do now is the word will go out to four or five different writers, and pro bono, they'll have to work out what they would do, how they would approach it, what changes in the story they would make, and then they go in and they pitch the producer or director, and, uh, and then they pick one. So you go through an awful lot of work, and you have a 20% chance of even getting the job in the first place. Now, back in the 80s, it was very different. They would send us the script, and if David and I decided, yeah, we'll do it, then we had the job. So, <laughs> yeah, it was much better being a rewriter back in those days than now. So, all right, January 1985, and we got the call from our agent, did we want to do a rewrite on the sequel to Romancing the Stone? And we said, well, wait a minute. Romancing the Stone was written by Diane Thomas, a wonderful writer, and that was a terrific script. She did not write the sequel. So our first question was, why? I mean, why would you not get Diane Thomas to do this? And they said, well, she's doing a movie for Spielberg. So they got two other writers, the team of Mark Rosenthal and Lawrence Connor, two very well-established writers who have done a lot of things. If you look them up on IMDb, they have a long list of impressive credits. We never met them, actually. But uh, we said, okay, so we're going to be rewriting the Rosenthal-Connor script. That is correct. There was also going to be a time crunch because they were going to start shooting the end of April, and they needed approval from the Moroccan government. They were going to shoot in Morocco but uh, I guess they were worried that some of our jokes might cause an international incident or something. So the script had to be done, had to be translated into French, and then they needed some time for it to be approved so that they could shoot in April. And here it is now, in the middle of January, so time was tight. It is the sequel, as we mentioned, to Romancing the Stone, and we read the script, which was a confusing mess. And here's the big problem with it. You might remember Romancing the Stone ends with Michael Douglas, a grand gesture where he buys this boat that he wheels up Madison Avenue or Fifth Avenue in New York, and he and Kathleen Turner, as Jack and Joan, go sailing off into the distance to live happily ever after, to sail around the world and just live a luxurious life. Well, okay, now what do you do? (laughs) Romancing the Stone began, you might remember, with Kathleen Turner's character Joan finding out that her sister had been kidnapped in South America. So right away, there's a strong motivation and you're off and running. How do you start the sequel when two people are sailing around the world having a wonderful time on a luxury yacht. And the answer was well, they're bored. Hmm, bored. That doesn't seem to be enough to just launch into a into an adventure that neither of them had a stake in. And then they add to that by having pirates board their ship. It was just nuts. It was just absolutely nuts so we decided let's meet with michael douglas and figure out exactly what we were going to do and michael douglas had an office at 20th century fox and our goal we said to him the first day is we first and foremost want to make sure The story tracks that somebody watching this can understand at any point where they are, what everyone's motivation is, what the point of this is. Because as it was written, you had no idea what was happening. Why were people doing things? It was just, like I said... Uh, totally insane. Now, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. We write, well, we used to, uh, by dictating the script to a secretary who used to take shorthand. And so in all of our deals, we demanded an office and a writer's assistant who can take down the dictation. And all of the studios were like, okay, fine. You know, they... Give us some temporary office for two, three weeks if we don't have an office, and they provide a writer's assistant, or if we have a writer's assistant, they just pay her, and that's covered. So this was 20th Century Fox. So you back up about five months, and David and I are doing Aftermash, and it gets canceled and at the time we had an office in the old writers building that was a beautiful office it was a large office with windows on three sides it was maybe the best office that David and I ever had so the show gets canceled we get a call from Harris Cattleman who is the president of 20th century fox saying uh, cbs canceled the show and we were thrilled by that time. I, I have to say, like, oh, God, just, just get this monkey off our back. Uh, but he was very nice, and he said, we would like to make a development deal with you guys. We love you. You've been with us for years between MASH and uh, another development deal and after MASH. Uh, you're part of the 20th Century Fox family, and we want to keep you. And we were very flattered, but we said – we need to talk to our agent, we need to figure out what we want to do. This is kind of sudden, (laughs) although we were thrilled. And he said, great, just know you always have a home here at 20th Century Fox. So he hangs up the phone, and a half hour later, we get a call from Business Affairs saying, um, we're not paying you for your last script. Now, our last script was supposed to be the first one that went into production in like a week. We had written it. It was already in production, so there was a Mimeo copy with the 20th Century Fox logo and everything else. And they said, "Uh, we're going to pay you for that. I said, you have to pay us for that. It's the, the Writers Guild. And they said, well... Sorry, we're not. So I call the Writers Guild, and of course the Writers Guild gets right on it. And 20 minutes later, she calls back and says, Okay, okay, we're going to pay you for the script, but we want you out of that office in an hour. We have somebody else coming in. We need that office. We want you out in one hour. So I'm going to just quickly pack all of our stuff and... Leave. Okay, now, we're in Michael Douglas's office, and we said to him, you know, our deal uh, requires uh, 20th Century Fox to provide us with an office. We want a specific office. And earlier that day, I had walked over to the old writer's building to see just who is in our office. They needed it in such a rush. Answer, nobody. So I told the story to Michael, and I said, we want to go and take that office, that specific office. And he goes, okay, sure. So he calls up and says, "Uh, yeah, I want uh, Ken and Dave to have, I forget the office number, office six in the old writer's building. And the person on the phone goes, well, that's a television office, and uh, you're on the feature side. And Michael goes, do you know how much fucking money I have made for this fucking studio? You put them in that office. And they did. And so the same person who threw us out then had to call and go, hi, guys, uh Do you want any special furniture? Do you want special coffee? Anything you want in that office? So that was was a lovely moment. Maybe the highlight of Jewel of the Nile. So we write the script. The other thing we didn't know at the time was that when Kathleen Turner read the Rosenthal-Connor draft... She hated it so much that she tried to back out of the sequel. The only reason both of them did the sequel is that they were contractually obligated to. And 20th Century Fox said, then we're going to sue you for $25 million. So she backed off, but she was never really happy. Interestingly, we never heard from her. It's not like Michael said to her, okay, we're having a a rewrite done. Why don't you come in and share your concern with the guys and we can address them. No. We never had word one with Kathleen Turner. When we met with Michael, it was really kind of fun. We would meet him usually at the end of the day from like 3 to 6. One time, we worked till about 7, 7.30, and Michael said, you want to get something to eat? We went like, yeah, okay. And so we went to this Chinese restaurant on Pico Boulevard. Forget the title of it. It might have been Kowloon's. And at the time, Michael was married to somebody else, and she had had a cold. So as they're taking our order, Michael says, oh, and in addition to that, I want a pint of chicken soup to go. And the waiter goes, we don't have chicken soup. And Michael said, well, Factors Deli is like three or four blocks away. Just send somebody to pick up chicken soup at Factor's Deli. And they said, okay. Now, imagine if you had done that. (laughs) What do you think the waiter would have said if you had requested that they send someone four blocks down the street to pick up chicken soup at a delicatessen because... You asked for it. Yeah, well, advantages of being a star. There were other things I remember about those sessions with Michael. He would occasionally uh, refer to his dad. He would say things like, Well, you know, there was that scene in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea where my crazy old man did this or my crazy old man did that. He just referred to his father Kirk Douglas as that crazy old man, although I think he did it with a certain amount of affection. So we turn in our first draft, and Michael is very pleased with it, but has notes, okay? So we get notes from Michael, and now it's like the beginning of March, around the Time it is now, and (laughs) it was Oscar night. And so we have our meeting, and all the while, Michael is getting into his tuxedo because he's going right from the meeting to the Oscars where he's a presenter. Again, it's just, you know, typical Hollywood. So we had his notes. We were about to start our second draft, and we got a call from Michael. And he said he's still not happy with the first act. And he says, you know, I know I did something that's sort of unethical, and uh, I know it's against the rules, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm a producer and we're running out of time and blah, blah, blah. What did you do, Michael? He said, I talked to Diane Thomas. And she agreed to come in for a weekend and work on the first try, uh, excuse me, work on the first act. And you guys are welcome to do it with her, or if you're pissed, just let her do it herself. And we said, yeah, "You know, Diane Thomas should be writing this. It's her characters. I said, we're thrilled to have Diane Thomas, and we would be more than happy to work on it with her. And so we did. We spent the weekend working with Diane Thomas, and oh my God, I just loved her. She was so good, so insightful, so funny, so creative. Uh, The three of us got along great. She had never worked with somebody dictating the script and uh, a writer's assistant in the room. And she really just got into it. And we all had a lot of fun. And I think we did as good a job as we possibly could with the first act, although we're just putting lipstick on a pig. So the script gets translated. Oh, Oh, and one other point. I forgot about this. There was also an impending writer's strike. Seems like there's one every year, doesn't it? Well, there was an impending writer's strike. So we had to pretty much do our second draft writing around the clock. And we hired two writer's assistants who would switch off. One would be in the room with us as we're writing while the other is in the other room typing it up. And... You know, it was one of those, you know, we just jamming for four days to finish the script. So we turn it in, it gets translated, and the Moroccan government approves it. And I asked for a copy of the French translation. Now, I don't speak French, but my wife does. And she read it, and she laughed because every word was translated literally. And as a result, expressions and jokes and things like made no sense. It just sounded like random words. But I guess that was enough uh, for approval. So now they're going to go off and film this, I think the end of April of that year. And Louis Teague was going to be the director. Robert Zemeckis was the director of Romancing the Stone, and he was on to bigger and better things as well. Michael asked David and I to go to Morocco and to spend a few months on the set while they made the movie, in case there was any last-minute changes, you know, fine-tuning, that type of thing, we would be available. Now, under normal circumstances, sure. What a Cool thing to do. I think they went to Morocco, and then they went to the south of France. Whatever. Great experience. Why not? Well, the problem was that we had signed on to create a series for Mary Tyler Moore, and that was right around the time when we had to develop and write the pilot. So we were unable to go to Morocco. What does Michael do then? Because he needs some writers in Morocco. He hires the original guys, Mark Rosenthal and Lawrence Conner. So what do they do? Well, they throw out a lot of our script and put their stuff right back in. I defy you. To watch Jewel of the Nile and know what the hell is going on in that movie. It is just a confusing mess. And when it was released around Christmas to Savage Reviews, we had a cast and crew screening. I'm watching this movie on the big screen, and there's elements of our script in there. There's lines and moments and things like that of our script. And you would think that that alone would be enough to hold my interest through a 90-minute movie. I was so fucking bored. I had such a tough time staying awake through the movie. And they would get to a section and I would think, oh my God, oh my God, you, you still got to do the thing with the Nubian thing and then you got to do the thing and the chase scene. is like, oh God, there's like another half hour, 40 minutes to this. So uh, it was not a thrilling night watching the movie. Like I said, Savage Reviews and the movie flopped. Now... There was one scene that David and I wrote that was our invention, and it stayed in the movie intact. It didn't change a word. It's a scene later in the movie where Jack and Joan are hanging by ropes And I don't know, there's like alligators under them or something. It's, you know, one of those, you know, real Indiana Jones type of things. And they open up about their relationship. It's a very simple, sweet scene. Lasts a few pages. This movie comes out, as I mentioned, it's a flop. And a few years later, there's a book. And I wish... I remember the name of the author and I tried to look it up on Google and couldn't find it. It's out there somewhere. But there's a book about the worst movies ever made. And one of the movies is Jewel of the Nile. And he goes through and just trashes it and all the things that we were saying about how confusing it is and how ridiculous the premise was, all of that is, is in his, his chapter. And then he said, but there was a very curious thing. Like all of a sudden, in this horrible movie, there's this one really brilliant scene. And it's our scene. So th- that <laughs> was a happy ending for us. However, this this story has a very sad ending. And that is Diane Thomas for helping out that weekend, doing it as a favor to Michael Douglas. Michael bought her a sports car. And a number of months later, in the fall, she and her boyfriend... We're driving on Pacific Coast Highway. Boyfriend was driving. I don't know the circumstances. But the car spun out of control, flipped over, and Diane Thomas was killed. 39 years old. And I have to say, it it haunts me to this day And I cannot watch that movie again. I cannot watch a minute of that movie again. Um, She was uh, a wonderful person, as I mentioned, only 39 years old. And uh, I hate to leave on a sad note, but boy, how do you follow that? Um, So that's one adventure in rewriting, And that is Hollywood and Levine for this week. Now, in future weeks, I've got some very interesting interviews coming up. So I invite you to uh, check back in for those. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister-Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce, and Jason Miller. If you want to get in touch with me, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com is my email address That, again, is HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine, where I showcase my cartoons. Thanks so much for listening. Hopefully we'll see you again next week. Bye. Hollywood and Levine. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car